Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 269 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. 269. That's a lot of episodes, by the way. Uh, It is Sunday, January 10th, 2021. And guys, we have played two games in a row this week, and we won them both. We will recap the win over Wake Forest yesterday, and we will preview uh, what is our upcoming game against Virginia Tech that is on Tuesday. Before we get into all that, Donald Wine here. I am the host for this episode. I'll bring my friends in here quickly. First, Sam Klein, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Donald, you got on here after a couple minutes of me talking to Jason, during which I was we were discussing the dog uh, as, a, as an institution. As and you should. Yes, not, not Kenny Denard, that is, but, but actual dogs, like, <laughs> like dogs that live in your home. <laughs> Although we love Kenny Denard, too. And Jason said that the, that the dog is a great addition to the family. And what I responded to him, is and something that I think is most relevant for this podcast is you know what else is a great addition to the family is a KenPom.com subscription which the podcast recently bought and we hope that you will notice a a slight uptick in the quality of our uh, analytics on this program because we now have for a very small fee access to all of the KenPom.com uh, analysis and and data and sorting and all of these things and my goodness. Is it a one like if you are a, a college basketball fan and you like numbers and you have a little bit of money to spend, buy yourself a Ken Palm subscription because it is so fun 
and so informative. I really enjoy it. So I just want to endorse that uh, heartily here. And they're not paying us. We're paying them. Look, I'm going to bring in Jason Evans real quick. I know Jason's here. Jason, I, look, you you set this up for us, and yeah. it has literally opened an entire dimension for me. Like it, like I was like, I love Kim Palm. I used to go to the website, and I was like, oh, I get to see all these numbers, and then like now I can click on teams and go, oh man, I, I don't have time for all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sam was wise to point out we are not being paid for this endorsement. <laughs> not at all. Not we, at all. <laughs> but we should talk to Ken. We we need to talk to Ken because we, we're giving we him some pub right here. <laughs> we paid for this endorsement. I don't, I don't think we're doing it right. Yeah. So it was just a couple of weeks ago. And and I've always been, uh, you know, I always used to look at, at Ken's numbers and, but I couldn't really drill down into them because I didn't have the subscription. I was like, ah, oh, 1999, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks for. And then I, the other day I was like, you know, we get, we just got to do this. This is sort of silly and, and we can split it three ways. You know, uh, it is, it, Sam is right. I mean, it's crazy. The amount of information you can get about the way teams play, about the way play, what players like to do and stuff like that. It's, it, it's just a ton of fun and, and I'm enjoying bringing it to the audience as well. Yeah. If you so subscribe to the athletic, which you pay more for than you would for Ken Palm. You should absolutely be a Ken Palm subscriber. And, yes. and I've been, and I've been telling you for as, to do both. Basically as, as long as, <laughs> as the athletic has been in existence to, I've been telling you to subscribe to the athletic. I'm telling you now to do this too. I, I will say when Jason brought this to us in our chat a couple of weeks ago, he was like, guys, you know, I, you know, I've been thinking about it and I think we need to do a Ken Palm subscription. And I'm like sitting in my couch, like, okay, Dan, what's the, what's the cost? He told me what it was. And I was like, why are you even asking us? Like, go. Like, <laughs> we should have been done that. Like, but yes, it's, it's totally great. Ken Palm, a, a great resource, something that we have relied heavily on. Uh, so Ken Palm, shout out to you on this Sunday morning. Uh, but the best thing about Ken Palm is that he discusses basketball. And that is what we will do today. We begin with the biggest news. Duke Blue Devils hosted the Wake Forest Demon Deacons yesterday in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Coach K was back on the sidelines. He passed a pre-dawn COVID test to be able to coach. He was fired up. He was animated. And Duke once again used a nice start to the second half and strong play on offense and defense down the stretch to pull away from Wake Forest. 79-68, to 68, the final score. Duke moves to 3-0 in the ACC, 5-2 overall on the season. So, guys, as we normally do, we split these recaps up in the little segments. We begin with the headline, the one to two sentence headline that you would use to describe this game. Sam, I start with you. What do you got? Has Duke been sleeping on Matt Hurt? That's my headline for this game. That's a, that's a good one. It's similar to mine. Uh, Jason, what do you have? So my headline is Duke pounds the glass and puts a hurting on Wake. Get it? Ooh, hurting. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, you use puns. The lead I, guy over here. I just, I just went straight forward. Strong offense, strong defense, and ACC Player of the Year candidate Matthew Hurt beat Wake Forest. Done. It's pretty much what I got here. So because it seems like we all have a lot of good stuff to talk about from this game, notably, let's start with the good stuff. Jason, uh, I go to you. What do you think? First of all, just give me the first thing you thought we did very, very well in this game. The thing we did really well in this game was we got a lot of steals and we got a lot of offensive rebounds. Everybody knows, if, you, if you've listened to this uh uh, this podcast before Jason's favorite statistic field goal attempts Duke had 61 field goal attempts Wake had only 48 so Duke had 13 more chances to get put the ball in the basket than Wake Forest did and that's the reason why Duke won this game by double digits um, and we just owned the offensive boards we had 15 offensive rebounds Wake only had 17 defensive rebounds 
So basically when they, sh- I'm sorry, when we shot the ball, even if we bothered to miss, there was pretty much an equal chance of us getting the rebound versus them getting the rebound. And there were several moments in the second half where Duke would miss a shot and then get not one, but two, sometimes even three offensive boards, giving us all these extra chances to make baskets. And even if we didn't score on those possessions with all those second chances and third chances, it is draining on a team, on an opponent, to constantly be unable to get a defensive rebound, to get a stop and turn possession the other way. A couple other things I wanted to hit on really quickly. Um, You know, guys, at the 11.45 mark of the second half, this game was tied at 55. With under 12 minutes left, it was tied at 55. And over the next nine minutes, Duke went on a 20-7 to run. That's your ballgame right there. Um, Duke had nine turnovers in the first 12 minutes of play in the first half. We started out sloppy, nine turnovers, but we only had five turnovers the rest of the game. So that's, you know, that's something to that, that I think is a good improvement and, and an important thing for Duke carrying forward. And then I, I just want to mention, you know, we're all going to talk about Matthew Hurt, but um, uh, DJ Stewart, you know, think of the game that DJ Stewart would have had if he hadn't gone one for seven on three-pointers, he, he, and he missed some pretty wide-open threes. He was just one of seven on three-pointers, but he had seven of eight from inside the arc. He was consistently slicing to the bucket, finding spots uh, in the zone, places where he could be opportunistic. He led the team. He had six shots at the, taken at the rim uh, for a you know, little tiny shooting guard to take six to have the most shots at the rim of anybody on the team. That's why DJ Stewart scored more than 20 plus points. And, and I think that's a big reason why he was such an important player for Duke in this game. Uh, those were great. And a couple of those that I had also had on my notes as well. Uh, Sam, what do you have uh, with regard to the good things in life from this game? All right. So here's my off the cuff, unfair player comp for DJ Stewart, given what Jason was just talking about in terms of points at, at, Yeah, points at the rim. DJ Stewart, Kyrie Irving light, sort of. Maybe that's a little bit of his game right now. Not the not the handle. He doesn't. uh, He doesn't nearly have the ball. Doesn't have the handle. Yeah, but 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 small guy who's able to to get to the rim, draw contact, and and make buckets. So I think you described it. I think you described that correctly. It is an unfair comparison because every time you think of Kyrie and anybody, you're like, well, no one has Kyrie's handle, and that's true. But yeah, DJ's not crossing guys up like that. I think a little, some of the little things, you're absolutely spot on the fact that you see some resemblance to it. I wanted to start actually with the defense. The J- DJ Stewart is sort of a diversion for me. But the and, and Jason brought up how Duke was able to turn Wake over. We said in the preview that Wake Forest is not like the most incredible passing team. They're not the most incredible shooting team. But Duke was really able to frustrate them in a lot of ways. And the guys to me that stand out both in the box score and in you know, by passing the eye test, I suppose. Matt Hurt obviously had the best game for Duke yesterday. We we all mentioned it in our headline, but Jordan Goldwire and Jamin Brakefield were both instrumental for Duke in in causing disruption for Wake at at both levels, both, you know, at the top of the three-point line and down low. They were frustrating passing lanes. They were making the Wake guys nervous to move the ball around and to get into a, an offensive flow that would have you know, produced some more points for them. And, and Breakfield and Roach, I think were really key in wearing wake down. So Jason talked about how the game was, was kind of back and forth. Duke had Duke had a little bit of a lead in the first half. And then it was a little back and forth before Duke pulled away. You could chalk that up to sort of the normal Duke has, you know, this much more talent 
than Wake Forest. And so over the course of 40 minutes, the Wake guys are just going to get tired and, and not be able to, to hang around with a team with that much talent. I think that that was mostly due to the defensive pressure and to the, the, the frantic nature that Goldwire and Brakefield and a couple of the other guys added to this game. So that's my, that's my kind of under the hood big thing that was helpful for Duke here. You know, uh, I want to go back to offense for a second because Jason was talking about how efficient our offensive rebounding was. But another thing that was very efficient was our ball movement. It's one thing that we have been talking about. We hadn't seen uh, a lot of it this year uh, so far, but we had 17 assists on 31 made baskets. That's a really good percentage. That's over 50%. It, you obviously want that maybe to be slightly higher, but you'll take assists on over 50% of your made baskets. That is uh, efficient ball movement. And and that's not counting. Uh, we will talk about this a little bit later. A lot of the open shots that people, the ball movement created that we didn't knock down. So uh, especially on the outside. So I, I think the ball movement was really, really uh, incredible uh, on this game, especially the, the marked improvement that we've seen on that. I hope that continues. Jason, I want to go back to you because there was a note that uh, that we had when Sam was talking about the defense. And one thing that stood out to me was the amount of times we were able to get into passing lanes. Why don't you talk about Duke's ability to get into passing lanes and create opportunities in transition? Yeah, thanks. I, I, I got to tell you guys, uh, I think I've figured out the single thing that Duke does better than anything else, and it is steal the ball. We had 10 steals against Wake Forest. That means we got a steal on about 15% of Wake's possessions. Put even more simply than that, one out of every six times Wake Forest had the ball, that possession ended with Duke stealing it and quite often going the other direction for, you know, a, a two on one, a three on two, you know, a, a fast break opportunity that we were going to get points on um, uh, to, to go back to earlier in the week against against BC. We had 14 steals against BC. We came very close to getting a steal on one out of every five possessions. Duke is now seventh in the nation, the seventh best team in the country at a stat called steal um, percentage. We, you know, which obviously is the amount of time you're stealing the ball, the other team has it. We are seventh in the nation. It is easily the best aspect of our defense at this point. I would argue that it is the best thing we do as a team, period. End of story. Our ability to turn teams over via the steal is the single thing that, that this Duke team can say makes us potentially elite. Absolutely. And, and a lot of guys were you know, very active on defense. And, and as, as we've all mentioned, it turned into – uh, some open opportunities and some great opportunities on offense. Uh, Sam, I want to go back to you as well, because we need to discuss Matthew Hurt. We, we, we all had him in our headline. We've spoken about him a little bit, but this man was incredible. He had, I mean, 26 points, uh, four or seven from beyond the arc. Like this guy was everywhere. And uh, one thing that I saw, and I want to know if you saw the same thing, is that he has started to be way more assertive on offense and, and commanding the ball and being and, and making it so that the team focuses on him, even when they know the, uh, the defense is focusing on him too. I think he's got, and, and for uh, <laughs> at the risk of, of being uh, size and racially profiling on Matt hurt, he's got a little bit of Kyle Singler disease here where he's, he might be the best player on the team and, but he does everything He's just a little bit understated in the way that he scores the ball, in the way that he passes, in the way that he moves, that it's easy to forget that he's this good. And, and we're see but uh, yesterday against Wake Forest, he absolutely demonstrated all of it. I, I think that the, 
the part of his game that I'm really enjoying the most is his ability to create shots that aren't necessarily high percentage, but that really throw the defense off. He's got that that mid-range shot making in addition to the to the long-range shots uh, really going right now. And and it makes it so much harder as a defense to to key in on him because he's not the fastest guy on the team. So it's not like you're aware that you're chasing around DJ Stewart and, and Jeremy Roach, but you have to constantly be aware of, okay, Matt Hurt has now has now like moved to the weak side and gotten himself into a favorable position that that is 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 kind of hard to keep your eye on when you're also keeping your eye on the ball. That's what I'm most impressed by in in terms of the the progress of his game. And by the way, that sounds exactly like what he was working on over the summer is shots, 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 get open and make shots. That's what he's doing right now. And getting them off quickly because, I mean, we talked about last year how he was in great spots to shoot the ball, but he wasn't getting his shot off quickly, so it was easier to be defended. There's times yesterday where he'd catch the ball and in the blink of an eye, he is, you know, the ball is in the hoop. And on the rebounding front, we'll get to this in the in the bad news in a second. I, I think the thing that I'm most down on for Duke is the lack of production from the centers, from the from the true centers so far. Hurt has been has been picking up the slack in terms of guarding in the post as well as rebounding in the post. He is sucking up rebounds and is is getting guys out of his way. And we can see the the progress that he's made in terms of not just being big, but using his size to establish position. You know, guys, uh, in in the post game news conference, uh, Coach K spoke a little bit about Matthew Hurt and the the effect of, I guess you'd say, the gravity effect that he has on the Duke offense. That that when uh, when the ball goes to him, the opposing team has to adjust. They have to be mindful of where he is. They have to help out, and they have to sort of you know collapse on him a bit because he is such a dangerous offensive player, and that creates space for everyone else on the team. Uh, you know. I, I, I think you can make a pretty good argument that that any possession where Matthew Hurt does not at least get the ball for a couple of moments for Duke is a possession that that was not maximized on on our you know uh, in, in terms of us getting the easiest and best shot we could because when Matthew Hurt has the ball in his hands, good things tend to happen for Duke because of the way the other team has to adjust to him. And then the other thing I wanted to mention about him very quickly is. This week was uh, a coming out party of sorts on Matthew Hurt's three-point jumper. If you look at the three games that he had played against, you know, power five opponents, really good teams uh, earlier this season, he was one of three on three-pointers against Michigan State. He was 0 of six against Illinois and 0 of two against Notre Dame. So that's one of 11, uh, you know, in, in his first three games against, you know, sort of legit opponents. The past two games... Three of six on three-pointers against BC. Four of seven on three-pointers against Wake Forest. Better than 50% this week against two legitimate ACC opponents. That is such a huge part of his game. We've talked about that that mid-range game, the the fadeaway and the such that he's developed. The fact that he is now really, really nicely adding some strong three-point shooting to that makes him, you know, as you said earlier, perhaps, probably, the front-runner for ACC Player of the Year right now. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see him uh, as that as the season continues, see what he can do uh, to stake his claim to that award and other postseason awards that he will be rightly uh, deserving of. I want to move on to the veggies portion of the of the recap, the the bad things that we have, uh, or I will say most concerning. And I, I want to begin with this. I, I'm going to start with our three point shooting. Nine for twenty seven isn't great. It, it, I mean, it's not terrible. Thirty three percent. You want to be you know closer to forty percent, but. Uh, 
making nine threes, if you look at that first number, nine threes is a lot of threes, but it took 27 to get there. The question for me, though, is why we are missing so many wide open shots. And I think we all have alluded to it uh, in the good stuff because we saw a lot of ball movement. The ball movement created a lot of wide open shots and we weren't making them. Uh, we had, you know, Window Moore had an air ball, like, you know, DJ Stewart was missing a lot of open threes. Wait, let's be clear. That air ball by Window Moore, I mean, like, that wasn't like an air ball where, oh, it just, that missed by a good, like, three feet. And yeah, I mean, missed yeah. the rim by, like, it, that was one of, I, I don't think I've ever seen a guy like who was open in a college basketball game, miss a three-pointer that badly. It, yeah, was, it, it was really it, bad. It was one of those things. I mean, and we'll probably talk about one more a little bit, but like it, the, the concerning thing for me is that we had the ball movement. We were doing very well in that. And then we get to have a three-point opportunity where there's acres of space and they're not, they're not dropping those. Those are the things that need to fall. Like it, it's hard enough to make shots when guys are in your face and contesting it. It's another thing to just completely miss opportunities because we were wide open. So I think that is the key here. If we can start knocking down some of those, then it will open up spacing for everything else. And a lot of times the guys will just pack the lane knowing like, Hey, they're not going to make that shot. And it's almost like a disrespect thing in basketball, right? Like if I'm sitting on the wing, people are going to guard me. Cause they're like, Donald's going to shoot the three. He's going to make it. It, it, you know, other people, if they're like, yo, don't worry about the seven footer. He's not going to make it. That's where Matthew hurt was great because he did kill uh, Wake Forest by them kind of checking off from a little bit. And he was like, you give me the space, I'm going to hit it. But there's a lot of guys on this team that are not hitting those open threes. And I, I think it'll help our efficiency, obviously, if a lot of those start going down. Uh, Sam, what do you got? I think mine in a weird way relates to that. I mentioned before that I'm going to key in on the centers, not really, or the, the big men in general, not bringing the kind of force that I would hope they would. Obviously, Mark Williams and Henry Coleman are freshmen. Patrick Tepe was still out or was out yesterday um, due to injury. So so we didn't exactly see it from him. But I want to see Duke able to assert its size more against opponents like Wake Forest that are undermanned. The final score in this game basically indicated that like this game pretty much ended exactly where you would expect. Duke is a was like a 12, 13-ish point favorite. They won the game by 11. They, as I said, they, they kind of tired Wake out down the stretch, and that was that was sort of the final margin. But I want to see Duke able to impose a little more of its will, which comes from the big men being able to dominate a little harder. And the reason that I think that that dovetails off of the discussion about three-point shooting is that if we have guys who are more reliable three-point shooters, you don't have to have four guards on the floor if you know that only one or two of them is necessary to, to, to make those open shots. But as we said, we can't exactly trust more or Stewart or Roach uh, maybe Matthew Hurt at this point is 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 in that good range, but all those other guys are not consistent enough that you know that if DJ Stewart is is on the wing, he's a bucket for you. And and I think Coach K really wishes that that any of those guys would be that reliable shooter to allow him to play more big men and have a little bit more a uh, little bit more size in the front court. Uh, so Sam mentioned the final margin, and and one of my bad things, and this seems is going to seem like a weird thing until you hear me finish it off, but. Uh, Duke was a 13, 13 and a half point favorite in this game. And, and so we failed to cover. I mean, we came close, like Sam said, but we did not cover. Do you guys know uh, Duke is now one in six against the spread so far this season? Uh, the only, only time we've covered was against Notre Dame. We were about a two point favorite in that game. We won that game by 10. 
Um, it's the only cover we have the entire season. Now, I don't really care about whether or not gamblers are making money off of Duke. Um, I, I have been known to make a wager myself now and then, but, but that's not the reason why I see this as one of the bad things, one of the things that concerns me. I do see it, though, as an indication that we are continually failing to live up to expectations. We are continually coming up short of what the the gamblers, the advanced metrics, all the people who say that this Duke team is a legit title contender, we're coming up short of what those folks think we should be doing in terms of, you know, winning and losing these games. Um, and, and, and part of this is our, our Ken Palm rating. Duke opened the season as the number two team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Now, I, I don't think anyone really thought Duke was the number two team in the nation at the beginning of the year, but uh, this is this is how we opened the season in Ken Palm. Our ranking in Ken Palm has dropped after every single game we've played except the Notre Dame game so far this year. We are now down to number 21 in Ken Palm. That's not a terrible number to be at, but it is, again, an indication that this team is sort of continuing to come up a little short of expectations each time, and as a result, expectations are being lowered for us. And then, Donald, the other bad thing I want to point out about this is I'm getting concerned about the way we're starting games. We're allowing opponents to get very comfortable on offense. I think at the beginning of games, we're then turning it on and, and we're getting those steals and, and, you know, we're clamping down more, but I, I, again, I'm, I'm just worried that we're letting teams be in games for a while. I talked earlier about the fact that this was a tie game with 12 minutes left against Wake Forest, who is an inferior team. And there are going to be good teams that we are going to play, including this coming week, where we may not be able to just flip a switch and clamp down the way we have been against these sort of mediocre clubs. Absolutely. And one thing I do want to uh, note about the, the gambling aspect of things, there's one stat that I haven't really been keeping track of, but I looked at yesterday and is very interesting. And that is what our opponents shoot from the three free throw line in Cameron, because normally you have, a, I mean, yesterday they shot 18 for 21. Very rarely does a team come in and shoot close to 90% from the free throw line, because in Cameron, the crazies won't let you do that. So we have that. And I think the fact that there are no fans in the stands gives them extra points at the free throw line, because there's no Cameron crazies there to throw them off track, or at least especially in that opening five minutes or so, or four minute segment that Jason, you talk about where they start to get comfortable. That's where the crazies are there to say, no, you will not be comfortable today. That extra boost that gives our team the boost that it needs. And also gives the uh, opposing team a little bit more fright and more timidness to kind of enter the game. Those things aren't there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that relates. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to give myself some homework in a couple weeks to kind of look back and see how teams are playing uh, from the free throw line in Cameron, even in that in, uh, shooting percentage in the first few minutes versus what they were doing last year when the stands were full. And there are a lot of ways that home court advantage can manifest for a team that we're kind of tested putting to the test this year because of no fans in the stands. I think that's a great example, but I, but there are for sure. I'm, uh, I'm thinking there are other aspects of home court advantage that, that are not happening this season. So yeah, we have to kind of adjust the expectations on, okay, Duke is a 13 point favorite against wake forest at home. Is that at home during normal times or is that during the, the no fans era and the, the changing preparation and the changing schedule era, which is adding just a lot more randomness to it, which probably lowers that, that uh, where that spread should be. 
I mean, I don't think Vegas is caught up to COVID yet in the sense that, you know, usually people go into Cameron. Cameron by itself was like a four-point swing uh, in, in the in, used in a lot of lines. Like just Cameron, being in Cameron itself, they say home court advantage is like three. Cameron would add a couple of points to that. So, uh, and right now, they don't know how that, how that is neutralized w- one way or the other. So uh, we'll see how that – and that will be interesting to kind of look at how these lines kind of progress throughout the season as teams start to get more comfortable in the environments that they're in. I did want to move on because – after the game, Duke had its normal media day availability, and this was the first time for the media to speak with Coach K in over three weeks because you know he had been out for the quarantine for 10 days and we hadn't had games before that. So he had a lot to talk about. DJ Stewart and Matthew Hurt also were on as well, and Jason was able to be on the press conference. So Jason, why don't you set this up for us uh, and give us the important nuggets from what these players and coach discussed? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to get to Coach K and what he had to say about his quarantine in just a little bit. But in terms of the game itself, I, I did want to give you some of what Coach K and, and Matthew Hurt and DJ Stewart had to say. K said the key to the game was our rebounding. Um, he said we hustled, we got after it, especially the perimeter guys. He noted the perimeter rebounding. And this is worth noting. He said he was really proud of Wendell Moore who didn't score very much in this game, but did not let that affect other aspects of this game. Early in this season, Case said Wendell was letting his scoring struggles impact his play elsewhere. And Kay pointed out that Wendell was our leading rebounder this game and that he played well in the other parts of the game outside of scoring. That is uh, a great, that's a great point. And, you know, we, we, we ragged on him for a little bit for missing the, the air ball, uh, the three-pointer, but you're right. He was very good on defense. He was on the court down the stretch because of his rebounding and his defense. So uh, in that aspect, he had a very good game. Yeah, and, and I mentioned earlier that Coach K talked about, you know, Matthew Hurt and his gravity and how the other teams come to him. Um, that was one of the things he talked about. He, he called out the defense, and I thought this was really interesting, of both Henry Coleman and Joey Baker. Neither guy played very much. But he, he noted that they both made sort of key defensive plays at, at the, during the little bit of time they were in the game. And Coach K said he really wants to find more time for the bench guys. Uh, guys, I'm not sure if y'all are aware of this. Duke is not even among the top 300 teams in the country in terms of how much we are using our bench. And that's with Mark Williams, you know, sometimes starting games but not playing a lot and Wendell Moore getting a lot of minutes when Mark Williams isn't playing. So uh, Coach K, you know, said he wants to play the bench more. He said he wants to play Mark Williams more, but Wake went small and really mobile and it wasn't a good game for Mark to play as a result. Um, Coach K commented that earlier in the year, I thought this was really fascinating, Duke had been playing five out on offense. It's, it's a style of offense that the Celtics and the Warriors play. And Coach K said it just it wasn't working for us. He said usually we would have figured that out earlier in the season, like during the exhibition games. Um, but it took us until like the Michigan State and Illinois games to really figure out, okay, this five out is not working. And we've been installing a new offense. We've been tinkering and remaking the offense since then. K feels really good about the defense and says we're starting to figure out the offense now too, which, which I think was one reason why it feels like Duke is playing better than we were before the Christmas break. And uh, regarding defense, he said we're getting more instinctive defensively. He said especially Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart, and I thought I love this comment. He said they are past the thinking stage. He said they're not thinking anymore, and by that he means they're just reacting. And he said you get a little bit slower when you think, when you're just instinctive and you react that adds to your quickness on defense. Um, and he said, we're not, we're, we're not an outstanding team yet, but we are a good team and we're getting closer and closer to being an outstanding one. So it sounds like Coach K is pretty excited about all of this stuff. 
I wanted to really quickly mention that DJ Stewart uh, ha- had a had a great piece of sound um, uh, about Coach K coming back to the team, and I want to get to that now. DJ, by the way, always smiling on these press conferences. The guy is just he brings so much energy and enthusiasm to the press conferences. I can't even imagine what he must be like as a teammate. He was just, it, Look, I just love the kid. A, that is an understatement. Like you can tell, like I don't have to watch the, the press conference to know that this guy is smiling all the time. But if you notice during the game, he's also always smiling. Like he literally, he, he, he clearly loves the game so much and loves being a part of this and being out there that like he could get punched in the face and he would just still be smiling about it. Like he, you know, there's a lot of times where you just see it and you go. And for you as a fan, I, I'm sure it does the same for the team, but for me as a fan, it calms me down. Like, all right, you know, the kids got it. Like he, he, he's embracing the moment and he's, he's living through it. He may have some mistakes, but the kid is enjoying what he's doing. And that's, that helps calm he's- everybody down. He's a bundle of energy and it, 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 you're right. It's just, it's like fun to be around him. So I want to play for you all now a little bit of sound from the post-game news conference after I spoke about it. <laughs> uh, and this is all about um, Coach K being in quarantine, coming back to the team. It's about COVID and that kind of stuff. So first we're going to hear from DJ Stewart. He's going to tell us what it was like when Coach K arrived and the team saw him for the first time in a week. And then we're going to hear from Coach K about his week of COVID quarantine. So let's roll that sound now. DJ, what was it like for you guys when Coach K came in to shoot around and you guys knew he was going to coach you again? It was exciting. You know, he came in. First thing he said was, let's go. And uh, he he told us to yell that out. So he just brought the energy, and uh, we needed that energy. So uh, just going forward, it's going to be good having him back. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, uh, I'm really proud of the job my uh, – staff and my players have done while well, I wasn't physically present and they didn't get tired of me on zoom. Uh, you know, listening to me is one thing, but when you have to just look at my face for a long time, it's not the prettiest sight in the, in the world. So uh, I, I, I appreciate them hanging there in there with me. also want to just say thank you to Duke medical. Um, you know, they stepped in, when I was getting on the bus going to Florida state and they were right to do that. Uh, Mickey and I have been tested every day since uh, Mako was at our house at five forty-five this morning to test us. And at eight 30, I got, I came in and I stayed isolated here. And then they told me I was good to go and Mickey was good. And um, so I was able to participate in the, uh, our, our walkthrough at about 9.15. So that that helped instead of me just coming in, at, you know, and saying surprise just before the game, uh, able to establish a little bit more contact with them. And I will say this too, uh, you know, my, my daughter Debbie and my granddaughter Emmy are still fighting the virus and they haven't, it's not gone away. You know, they're, they're doing okay, but not great. And, you know, my heart goes out to everyone out there who has a family member or they're fighting this and it's, it's serious. You know, we had 16,000 people die in the last four days. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy that we have such a good medical center and medical people who will take care of us. And again, uh, 
Um, but I'm, I'm happy to be back. But, you know, Zoom has been a big help. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, I've been, I actually have watched and done probably more this week because, you know, my wife and I have had to keep socially distanced. I slept in a different part of the house. I, I actually just told her I'm going to sleep on the couch and I haven't done anything wrong. And, uh, and then I'm there and it's right where I'm, my computer and my dry, you know, everything is. So, uh, and then my, you know, I was in constant contact with my staff. And uh, the one thing, though, I told my staff during the week, follow your instincts. Because I follow your instincts when I'm there. So, uh, but it was a, it's a big difference. You know, I was totally in, involved and, uh, uh, and actually got a chance to speak to my team. But uh, the Zoom aspect helps uh, a great deal. So, Coach K, one of the funny things he said during the press conference, he was talking for a while. You know, I only pulled out little pieces of it for you guys to listen to, but he was talking for a while and he said, sorry if I'm talking so much. He said, I've been in quarantine. I've been able to talk to anyone. I've been talking to my dog, Blue, all the time, and he's getting so sick of me that he keeps leaving the room when I start talking to him. So, Coach K was excited to talk to real people again and, uh, you know, great fun to have note, him back on the side. Fun note, Coach K's dog is named Blue. Perfect, perfect name. There you go. I know. It's a great name for a dog. I love it. Uh, I, you know, one thing that stood out to me was uh, he talked a little bit about like what they had been doing to kind of coordinate with the coaching staff. He commended John Shire and, and uh, Nate James, Chris Carowell and Nolan Smith for how they handled uh, the practices and the games in his absence. Uh, and also on the broadcast, they heard a little bit. I don't think that Coach K talked about where, you know, Shire was saying that he co- he uh, he was calling uh, Coach K was calling him at halftime before the game and after the game. And he said at halftime he called and uh, you know, it motivated me to go in and kind of speak to the team. And after the game, the call was a lot different than the one at halftime. So I was like, yeah, that's probably, that's probably fair. But the way that they had that set up, I mean, hats off to Duke and the video staff. Uh, you know, I, I'm a former video guy like for the football team. So I understand the intricacies of this, but the way they were able to set that up where coach K didn't miss a beat, the players didn't miss a beat, the coaches didn't miss a beat uh, is, is, frankly, nothing short of incredible. And it just speaks to how Duke has just been adapting and rolling with these punches during uh, the during pandemic. And because that was not something. And also the the fact that he came onto the team bus after or before the game or before Florida State. It was like, hey, uh, I know you guys are about to leave for the airport, but I'm not going with you and having a quick meeting just to say, hey, if you guys feel like going, you guys go and I have confidence that you guys will get this job done. That sort of thing is something that it was a kind of a, a layer inside the onion that we don't get to see much from Coach K in the program. How, you know, how they explain going through something like that and what the emotions were behind it. So it was a very opening, eye-opening uh, press conference from Coach K in that regard. I will, I will also mention to kind of wrap this up the, that Coach K had some very uh, emotional comments about the uh, – it, everything that happened this week here in DC at the Capitol. Uh, I, we won't, you know, discuss it here. It's, but it's definitely something you used to watch. I know Duke blue planet has uh, posted that clip uh, on social media, both Twitter and, uh, and Facebook. So uh, definitely take a look at that uh, and, and really just kind of take into heart who, where it's coming from. And, and, and coach K really said uh, some very direct comments about what happened. Uh, again, we won't, we don't have to elaborate here, but it was definitely something worth watching. 
It, it, it was powerful. You could tell he was emotional and, and folks, yeah, I recommend go, go find that and, and watch it. Um, it was eye opening. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And, and on a personal note, it's, it's not yet done here. Um, we have a lot, we have a long way to go, uh, before uh, everything kind of calms down. So, uh, Spare a thought for everyone here in D.C. Uh, we will pause here for a quick break, though. On the other side, we have a game coming up on Tuesday, hopefully, uh, against Virginia Tech, again, hopefully, in this COVID era. Uh, and we get to finally hand out some Player of the Week awards. So stick around to see which player or players get that prize. Okay, gentlemen, we are back. We hopefully will have a game on Tuesday when the Blue Devils travel to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. As we have done for the fat past few opponents, we're going to split this preview up. So first up, I want to kick it to Sam. We, we haven't talked to Sam in a minute. Uh, Sam, he's going to give us the players that we think uh, are going to be a focus for the Hokies. So Sam, who should we be paying attention to on Tuesday night? You know, there was something we were talking about earlier that I think is relevant as Duke goes to play a ranked Virginia Tech opponent that is pretty strong this year, definitely looking at a at an NCAA tournament bid. And that's that Duke hasn't played a, a really high-quality opponent since they faced Illinois, which now feels like an eternity ago. And we were saying that, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're, Ken Palm ranking is dropping after each of these games, even if they're winning and and this is the time when, when things might catch up to Duke. They're going on the road, but we've said that we don't know that that's a huge deal in, in COVID times. Cause you know, you add the travel, but, but the, the fans aren't there and the, the atmosphere isn't a part of it. So I'm curious to see how Duke performs overall against Virginia tech in a place where they've had trouble in the past. So that's kind of the, the sort of upfront a couple of guys that I wanted to highlight. The first uh, is so Virginia tech is coached by Mike young. He, was prior to this job, he was the head coach at Wofford and brought over a transfer with him, who's uh, Keve Aluma. Uh, this is a guy who hasn't played for Virginia Tech until this season and is having a breakout year right now for the Hokies. When he was at Wofford, he, he played two seasons at Wofford and is now playing his first season at Virginia Tech. The uh, When he was at Wofford, uh, never took a three-pointer. This year, he's taking a bunch of three-pointers, and he is the lead guy on their offense. He's averaging over 15 points and six boards a game. And if you look at kind of his game performance and Virginia Tech's game performance, if Aluma is having a good game, Virginia Tech is winning the game. And if he's not having a good game, they're in trouble. So I think the, the first key for Duke is going to be to, to try to contain Aluma. He's a big dude. He's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, um, but, but can still shoot it and, and is sort of all over the floor. So I expect uh, a, a couple of different guys from Duke to, to guard him. This is sort of assuming that Jalen Johnson is still out. We haven't heard anything about his return. Matthew Hurt, I feel like, is going gonna, is gonna to take part of the load here, but also Wendell Moore. Oh, I think it's Wendell. I think Wendell Moore is a key matchup there. Uh, Duke will do our, our best to have Wendell Moore on him as much as possible, I think. And, and, and it'll be curious to see how, how much Duke chooses to contain him versus sort of letting him get his and then and trying to stop the guys around him because he's the, he's the most important player for the Hokies. The other guy that I wanted to highlight is Tyrese Radford, who is a, a sophomore. He's only 6'2", 
but manages to also pull down six rebounds a game. So uh, he's, he's, he's kind of a, a wrecking ball, even if he's not that big. Uh, he's able to, to get guys out of his way. He also averages 10 points a game. So, so Aluma and Radford are kind of the, the, the two most important players for Virginia Tech, at least as far as I can tell. Um, they've, they do run a fairly deep bench. They, they've got uh, eight or nine guys that, that are going to play against Duke. So it's not like getting them in foul trouble is going to, um, is going to like really hurt them. And then as we've seen with Virginia Tech the last couple of years, especially last year, three-point shooting is is one of their their big strengths. So they, they have multiple guys that can shoot from three. I mentioned that Aluma is, is, is good, not great. There are other guys who are great on this team at, at shooting threes. So Duke has to uh, defend the three-point line in addition to trying to key in on these, on these strong interior players. So I want to shift to both who Virginia Tech has played so far this season and also a little bit of the eye test because normally I, we have Jason come in with the advanced test, but for this particular matchup, I want to show you the eye test and see if it matches up with the advanced stats because I think in some areas, Virginia Tech's advanced stats don't really relate to what is on the court and what you kind of see from the Hokies when they play. They have, they're eight and two in the season. They're two and one in the ACC and their best win so far was a victory. One of the first games of the season uh, in overtime against Villanova, who was number three at the time. Uh, They also have beaten Clemson at home and and their losses are to Penn state in the ACC big 10 challenge. And uh, just this past Wednesday night to Louisville. Uh, And I will mention that they do play Notre Dame today at home before they host us on Tuesday night. So they have a quick turnaround of less than 48 hours uh, before they play us uh, from after they play Notre Dame today. So, the one thing about them that I see from the eye test is they're strong on rebounding and uh, they, they have some three point shooters, as Sam mentioned. And so, but on offense, uh, I'm sorry, when we're on offense, all we have to do is be strong in the paint. They're not good at defending inside the paint. Even in their victories, they have a lot of struggle with teams who can have big men go to the glass. They don't block a lot of shots and they don't normally have a lot of steals. So the one thing for them is if you could take care of the basketball, and force them to take bad shots from the perimeter, that is going to play into our strength. And that's kind of our key in my mind to beating Virginia Tech. We, we have, we're clearly good at stealing the ball. We're clearly good at transition. Uh, if we can take care of the basketball on our end, that is going to limit the opportunities that they have because, again, they're going to turn over the ball quite a bit. And also, they're just going to, because they are good at three pointers, they're going to take a lot of them. So that is what you kind of see. And so, Jason, I say that to lead you in because I want to know from you if that kind of lines up with what you're seeing from the advanced stats yeah oh for sure especially you remark they shoot a lot of three more than 44 percent of their shots are three pointers um they hit about 35 almost 36 percent of their threes which is fairly strong um and uh duke is one of the bottom 20 percent of all teams in the country at opponent three-point field goal percentage you know in terms of how the the our opponents hitting threes uh, we've seen it again and again that opponents they shoot pretty well against Duke. And uh, again, so this Virginia Tech team that takes a lot of threes and, and hits at a decent rate, uh, playing a Duke team that gives up a pretty fair number of threes, uh, Virginia Tech really may have a strong game from deep. And that's certainly something to, to be concerned about. There's really, there's no stat that sort of jumps out at you about them. There's nothing where you go, over, oh, Virginia Tech is like top 30 in the country at this or bottom 30 in the country at that. Um, so, so there's nothing about their advanced stats that sort of, like I say, jump off the page is something you really, really need to worry about. Um, they, uh, they are ranked 37th 
in Ken Pomeroy um, as of this moment. They are playing Notre Dame today, a little bit later today. So, you know, all this stuff could change. We're recording this before the Notre Dame game. Um, They're 31st on offense and 52nd on defense. So, you know, good in both aspects. Neither one of them, you know, superstar Final Four kind of caliber, but they're good at both those aspects of the game. Uh, Virginia Tech plays pretty slow, especially on defense. Uh, where they force you deep into the shot clock and make you work to get a good shot. They have one of the slowest uh, defensive paces, tempos uh, in the entire country. Uh, not quite Virginia kind of tempo, but but not far from that. Uh, and then the other stylistic thing, the other advanced stat I wanted to note that is sort of interesting. Virginia Tech does a pretty good job of not giving up free throws. And Duke is one of the worst teams in the country at drawing free throw attempts. We are 323rd in the land, 323rd at our free throw attempts compared to our field goal attempts, you know, which is sort of how often you draw a a free throw. So uh, one of the things to look out for in this game, Duke is not going to get to the free throw line a lot. Virginia Tech does not foul. Duke does not draw shooting fouls. So I would expect that we are going to need to earn our points in other ways other than the charity stripe against Virginia Tech. And the one thing about Virginia Tech, this is one of the stats that I thought was a little bit off in the advanced part of things versus what you kind of see. Uh, you mentioned their free throw shooting. They, they shoot 70% as a team, uh, which is pretty high. Uh, you you want to be – if you're shooting 70% or above as a team, that's what you want. And we've talked about this uh, during the stats preview before the season started. But they really don't like hitting those free throws down the stretch. Uh, we we had some games where they've become way closer than they should have because they decide to stop making their free throws. And, it, you know, so that when you see that 70%, you go, wow, they're, you know, you can't put them on the, on the, uh, on the line and, during clutch time and during clutch time is when you actually want to put them on the line because their free throw percentage seems to drop way down uh, their concentration or whatever it is. Uh, there's been a couple of games recently uh, notably that Louisville game where they just kind of went back and forth, back and forth, and their free throw shooting really killed them in the end. So uh, that'll be interesting to see, especially uh, in Blacksburg on Tuesday night. I did want to move on because, for again, for the first time in almost a month, we get to award Player of the Week honors. So we are taking, uh, for reference, we're taking the Boston College game and the Wake Forest games into account. And, and Jason, I'm going to go back to you. Why don't you give me your Player of the Week? So I thought coming into the Wake Forest game that it would take a truly horrendous game by Wendell Moore for him not to win it because he was so great and it was so important for him to play that well against BC. And I want to be clear, he did not have a terrible game, a horrendous game against Wake. He struggled with his shots. He had a couple bad turnovers, but his D was really good. He led the team in rebounding. Um, and I agree with Coach K. It's great that he didn't let his one of seven day from the field impact the other aspects of his game. But I did not pick Wendell Moore for player of the week. Uh, The other obvious choices, of course, are Matthew Hurt and DJ Stewart. Uh, Matt had 17 and 11 against BC, 26 and 6 against Wake. I mean, what a huge week. He was 7 of 13 on threes. DJ Stewart had 14 points and eight boards against BC and then 21 and 6 against Wake. How could I not pick one of those guys? But my player of the week is Jordan Goldwire. And we have not mentioned his name yet on this broadcast. Jordan Goldwire had 14 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, and zero turnovers against Wake. That's after earlier he had 12 points, six assists, three steals, and just one turnover against BC. This is a guard who had 11 assists and one turnover this week. And he is rock solid on defense. He had six steals on the week. He is always calm. 
He is always under control. I mentioned on the last podcast, I love the way when Duke needed those free throws at the very end of the game, he took the ball on the out-of-bounds play, let them foul him, and then when he stepped up to that free throw line, he was saying to the ref, give me the ball, give me the ball, I'm ready to take this free throw, and he knocked them both down. Imagine how much this guy would score if he could actually hit his layups. It would be scary. <laughs> but I thought Jordan was such a steadying influence. He did all the little things you're supposed to do. And he had a pretty good week scoring-wise. He averaged 13 points per game. It, it, it would be easy to pick any of the other four guys, any of the other three guys that I mentioned. They all had great weeks. I think one of you guys are going to pick them. So I went with Jordan Goldwire as my player of the week. No, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, I will say this. I'm issuing a challenge to Jordan Goldwire. He doesn't have to accept it. It may not be a part of his game, whatever. I just want him to yam on somebody. Just one person. I don't care who, who, which team it is. I just want him to go up, you know, drive, drive the lane. And instead of going up for a nice little land, just flip his wrist around and just, just yam it on somebody. And he can, he can do whatever he wants after that. I just want that one thing, because I think if he does that, it'll shut the the internet down, at least Duke's internet. Uh, Sam, who do you got for player of the week? Donald, I think you are grasping to try to see Jordan Goldwire <laughs> yam on someone. This is like this is like I, that. I, I like There's that. I, I don't like eating yams, but I like watching you know, them. I'm sorry. DJ Stewart has yammed on a couple people this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a there's a YouTube clip of that's like JJ Redick dunks in college, and I, I it comes up for me, of course, every so often because, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. So and uh, and like he bare I, Donald, maybe you were at this game. I think it's like in, in 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. And he like barely dunks the ball. I feel yeah. like that's what would happen if they asked Jordan Goldwire to dunk. He doesn't even do it. Like he gets those steals and he has the breakaway. Like he definitely has time to dunk. The first time JJ dunked in, in college, it looked like the it was like a fast break. And he's like, everyone's like, what's he going to do? We've never seen him actually dunk it. And he kind of halfway up. The, to dunk he kind of looks around as if to say like man i should have just taken the open three but i guess i guess we're committing let's do it like and here he, we are kinda, yeah we're already here so uh yeah so the, the, that youtube clip is always very funny to watch jason i would like to point out that i did mention jordan goldwire for defensive effort when i was recapping the wake forest game so thank you look, you are right it's You're fine yes. it's fine I, <laughs> I i gave him his due i am very glad that you picked jordan goldwire because I thought that the Wake Forest game was one of the best games he's ever had for Duke. He was, I said, he was all over the place on defense and clearly made an offensive contribution. It was averaging double figures this week, which is not something that we would describe as, as like the, the key to success for Duke going into the season is a week where Jordan Goldwire averages double figures. That's not normally his game, but he's been playing a lot of minutes. He's been really productive. And therefore, I'm taking Matt Hurt as my player of the week. I mentioned... <laughs> I mentioned at the end of the Boston College recap, we, we talked a lot about Wendell Moore. We talked about, I think we talked about Jordan Goldwire and DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach, all these guys that had great games. And I think right at the end of that, I said something like, and Matthew Hurt had a double-double and we never mentioned it. It was the most like under the, this is where the Kyle Sigler thing comes in. Like Matthew Hurt had a double-double and nobody noticed. And it just, it just sort of happened and then disappeared. So I was thinking going into the Wake Forest game, if Matthew Hurt has a great game here, it, it's got to be him for player of the week because he was he was understated but very productive against Boston College. And sure enough, he was the star of the game against Wake. So I think I'm taking Matthew Hurt. I think he had his best game of the season and is, is really rounding into an all-ACC type player for Duke, which has been huge for us while Jalen Johnson is out. I cannot wait to see Jalen Johnson playing next to confident, productive Matthew Hurt, because I think that that is going to be a two-headed monster that opposing teams are not going to want to deal with.
Sam, I am so glad that you mentioned Matthew Hurt so that I could join you in naming Matthew Hurt Player of the Week for me. Uh, listen, guys, like when I say that he is the ACC Player of the Year candidate, that I, I'm not tripping on that. I mean, you guys mentioned everything that he's done. If there's one consistent thing about this year uh, in the most inconsistent of seasons, it's been Matthew Hurt. And, you know, sometimes he leads the box score and everything, and sometimes he has double-doubles and we don't mention it. Uh, this week we had both. You know, he was the star of the game yesterday uh, against Wake Forest, against Boston College. He had 17-11, and we didn't, we didn't even bother to mention it until the very end of the podcast because it was that great. You know, it's just it's just consistency that we've seen from him. And honestly, like I said, he's been way more assertive in, in on the offensive end. On defense, he's been more active. And I think when it comes to Matthew Hurt, everything that we heard about him before the season has turned out to be true so far. We can't say the same about a lot of things about this season, but he we knew he was going to get shots up. We we indicated we had heard that he was going to be one of our leading scorers, if not our leading scorer and everything, and he has proven to be that uh, so far this season. So I'm giving it to Matthew Hurt. I think it is uh, – but I also uh, think that a lot of the guys that you guys have mentioned uh, also deserve credit for what they've done this week. Man, what an upset that Wendell Moore did not get a single player of the week vote from us. I mean, coming out of that BC game, was that even possible? That is, cr- it's crazy that this happened. If he had done this this week, where we only have one game, it would have been it would have been very clear. Oh yeah, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. <laughs> there's yeah. two there's two games this week, and you have to take two into account, and and that's what happens. Some guys and can hey, steal the show. This is this is the result of Duke having a team this year that is you know as good as Matthew Hurt is, and as good as Jalen Johnson. I think we expect to be when he's at full strength. This is a Duke team that relies on lots of different guys. So different guys are going to get highlighted as the player of the game or the player of the week. So yeah. it's going to be Jordan Goldwire. It's going to be DJ Stewart. It's going to be Jeremy Roach. We hope someday that it's Joey Baker. Maybe there's a, a game or two where Joey Baker goes like, you know, five for seven from three and, and gets a few steals. And all of a sudden he's the player of the game. All of that is possible for this Duke team this year. Absolutely. Uh, And you know what, guys? I think that will do it for episode 269 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. A reminder, folks, if you have not subscribed and given us a five-star review and rating, what are you doing in 2021? Turn over a new leaf. Subscribe, rate, review, and you can get yours read on a future show. And if you have questions or comments, feel free to send them to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you all. We have received some great ones lately, so keep them coming. We'll mention a couple of those uh, down the line. But We will be back if Duke ends up playing against Virginia Tech because in this season we have to use the word if. So look for something midweek from us in either case. But until then, from our friends Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine. This is a DBR podcast, and this is a Duke fan here to take you home. Can you dig it? With a Bobcat Compact Excavator, you can. Up to $6,000 in rebates on select models and 0% financing for 36 months. Check us out at Bobcat of Charleston in North Charleston.